if you're going somewhere to get gasoline or diesel fuel, you may encounter two types of biofuels. And for gasoline cars, typically what you see in the United States is ethanol that's generally produced uh, from corn or other grain-based materials. And that's a biofuel that that blends into gasoline. The other one uh, is biodiesel, which is diesel. It's a bio-based diesel fuel that blends directly with petroleum-based diesel fuel. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. I want to know what you like or don't like about the podcast. I want to make it yours. You can leave a message by calling 614-636-2240. Again, it's 614-636-2240. Leave me a message and who knows, you might hear yourself on the podcast. Welcome to the third Shop Talk episode featuring biofuel boss Rachel Burton. To learn more about Rachel's journey in the industry, you can check out episode 25. During this shop talk, she dives into the details about what biofuel is and how to convert a gas engine to biofuels. Sit back and enjoy these knowledge bombs. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Rachel Burton back in the driver's seat, but this time it's for Shop Talk. Rachel was on the Femcanic Garage podcast uh, earlier. If you want to check out her more personal side of things, where we dive into kind of behind the scenes of Rachel specifically, that's episode 25. But welcome back to the driver's seat, Rachel. Thanks, Jamie. Now we are going to be diving in to biofuels. And we were talking a little bit about this right before this, but we're going to start at the very basics and stay at the level of DIYers. And if if we want to consider that or dig into it, what is it? And kind of where where do we start down that path? Okay. So technically, maybe I'm not in the driver's seat today, but I'm on on the other side of the vehicle. There you go. (laughs) Great. Well, let me know if you have any questions. I'm here to talk a little bit about kind of what biofuels are and what my experience is as a technician working on vehicles and engines that have been using different types of biofuels. Perfect. So I'm a DIYer and I don't know much about biofuels other than there's this kind of um, environmental craze and there's a lot of talk about biofuels and I've heard about people converting engines and all kinds of different things. What is biofuel? So technically in the marketplace today, like if you're going to a fuel, you know, 
somewhere to get gasoline or diesel fuel, you may encounter two types of biofuels. Um, and for gasoline cars, typically what you see in the United States is ethanol that's generally produced uh, from corn or other grain-based uh, materials. And that's uh, a biofuel that go, that blends into gasoline. Typically, what we'll see at the gas station is um, up to 10% or what you would consider E10. Or a, and some vehicles can even run higher blends like a 15% or e, which is E15 or a much higher rating is E85. And those are typically what you would consider flex fuel vehicles. So those are the biofuels that you'll see uh, and the biofuel blends that you'll see for uh, gasoline vehicles. And then the other one uh, is biodiesel, which is diesel is it, a bio-based diesel fuel that blends directly with petroleum-based diesel fuel. So typically the blends that you may see at a gas station would be a 5% blend, uh, which is considered B5. In Illinois specifically, you can see uh, an 11% blend, but typically the sticker would say, you know, up to 20%, uh, 20% blend, so which is considered B20. And then uh, occasionally uh, across the U.S., you may see even higher blends at a B99 or B100, which is basically almost pure biodiesel with very little petroleum diesel fuel in it. And those biodiesel, uh, biodiesel is typically made uh, manufactured from vegetable oils or animal fats, um, and that goes through a chemical process, as does you know corn. A corn grain will go through a, a fermentation process. So they each have completely different production processes. Um, the biodiesel goes uh, blends with diesel fuel, and the ethanol blends with gasoline. So is it true that? the biofuels are actually better for the environment then? I would say that both of them have a better, lower carbon footprint and can have, a, each blend can have a different um, emissions profile and generally they are uh, lower in hydrocarbon emissions. It depends on what blend you're talking about and what engine. But that is one of the key reasons that manufacturers approve blends of biofuels is for emissions improvement. So like I could give you an example of different blends of biodiesel going into diesel engines. Um, You would have, uh, typically you would have carbon monoxide, particulate matter, and unburnt hydrocarbons. And the biodiesel can have significant impact um, on those unburnt hydrocarbons, particulate matter, CO, and occasionally NOx, oxides of nitrogen. And that's uh, one of the main reasons people use biodiesel blends. Here, I'm located in North Carolina, and the Department of Transportation and um, many of the school buses 
in North Carolina have been approved to use uh, biodiesel blends because of the positive benefits on the air quality. So maybe these are dumb questions. I don't know. I'm just getting educated on this. None of them are. So if I have, I, I go buy a car and I, would I have to buy a car that is specifically like the engine is made to use the E85 or could any car use that, that particular fuel blend? If you're wanting to use higher percentage blends of either biofuel, uh, the engine manufacturers will manufacture certain engines that have been approved. And specifically when you're talking about things like um, E85 or blends higher than B20. So in the very high percentage blends, you may, you want to see if that engine has been approved. Um, that being said, as a DIYer myself, I have crossed those lines of uh, experimentation and run high percentage blends of biodiesel on a wide variety of engine platforms, specifically because I was training other technicians on what they may or may not see, depending on what, what is available in the marketplace. So I personally have, you know, several older um, Mercedes-Benz, an older Dodge D250 from 1989, and a Volkswagen um, TDI that all have like over close to over 200,000 miles on high percentage blends of biodiesel. The reason that I was interested in doing that is to see what and if there's any negative impacts on those high percentage blends so that I can then provide technical guidance on, oh, well, you know, after 30,000 miles of running a high percentage blend of biodiesel, I only had one hose or one seal that, that eventually degraded, you know, so, but if you were going to buy a new car, you know, then um, you want to look and ask, you know, has this engine been approved? And both of the renewable fuels associations that support the ethanol or biodiesel, they typically list which engine manufacturers and which engines have been approved for certain blends. And I can actually send you guys, uh, send a list that we can put in the show notes if if that's of interest. Yeah, absolutely. So, when you went through kind of your little experiment, I'll call them experiments, um, <laughs> what did you find that the biggest difference between, I'll call regular fuel, and the the biofuels? Why approved? What is there something that the, the biofuels are harder on an engine versus just regular gas? Or what, what is it? So I, I'll say that I'll probably over the course of our discussion on shop talk here, most of my hands-on engine experience is on the diesel side, but I do have some experience on the ethanol side. Um, so most of my experience experiments and experience is, is there. Actually, I think in my experience that 
biodiesel specifically is less harsh on a diesel engine. Um, hmm. Even a, a, when back in 2006, when they changed the sulfur regulations, sulfur sulfur was at you know 5,000 or 500 parts per million allowed in diesel fuel, and then they changed it down to 15 parts per million, and that sulfur was used as a lubricant inside the diesel engine. When you go down to from 500 to 15, you lose your lubricity, your ability to lubricate that engine. And even a small percentage of biodiesel, one to 2% can improve your lubricity significantly so that you're not having any kind of negative impact of having that lower sulfur rating. So you one to 2% blend of biodiesel gets you a higher cetane, generally similar horsepower torque and uh, fuel economy um, as regular diesel fuel, and you also it's naturally low in sulfur, and it has a positive impact on your emissions. So that's kind of what you see on the biodiesel side. On the ethanol side, ethanol is generally a higher octane fuel. Um, so that's one of the reasons that you see ethanol being used at different at different blends in the racing community. Oh, oh that's interesting. Huh. From the from the diesel perspective, the biodiesel provides the lubricity, and then on the racing side, the ethanol provides the higher octane rating. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you had mentioned in some of your ex- experiments, the what would you see break down once biodiesel was introduced? Is it a hose thing, and or so one of the one of the component, you know, typically inside the fuel system um, in older vehicles, you may have natural rubber components. Doesn't Whether you're talking about a gasoline engine or a diesel engine, and mo- for the most part, in a pre-1996 scenario, many of, many of those uh, hose components were made of natural rubber or they were starting to change their their blends, the polymer blends, and those fuel lines. And um, there, in the the two documents, the uh, the changes in gasoline manual and the changes in diesel fuel ma- manual, it will list the the seal and the fuel line components that are compatible with with the different biofuels. So, in my personal experience, you know, I was running old Mercedes and old diesel trucks that had some of these natural rubber seals and fuel lines. And when you ran the higher percentage blends, like a a B100, now it it actually took a fair amount of time, you know, many months of of running that fuel for me to even see small amount of seeping through some of the fuel lines. But that was, that was an experiment the engine manufacturer didn't approve B100 for that engine platform. I was just uh, kind of pushing the limit to see, well, what would a customer potentially see if they did uh, use something that was outside of the range of an OEM recommendation? But it, it actually took a lot longer than you would expect. 
Let me ask this. So if that's the natural rubber, and let, let's say the DIYer wants to upgrade their engine, we'll call it upgrading, right? And would your recommendation be, you know, before you, you do that, or while you're in the process of doing that, converting it, replace your hoses with what? And is it just hoses that you would recommend that? You know, if they if it's an older vehicle, um, then yes, you know they make um, special hose and seal kits that are meet the requirements. That are it's either like a Teflon or a Viton polymer blend, and so that's generally what what I would do if if somebody came to me and say, hey, you know, I have this older vehicle and I'd really re- like to run, you know, biodiesel in it. What's your recommendation? And then most, most of the aftermarket suppliers now provide upgraded hoses and seals that meet those requirements. And those are, those are listed in some of the documents that I, I shared with you. Perfect. Yeah, it's, it's a lot easier now to kind of upgrade, you know, some older vehicles to be able to run on the various blends of biofuels, whereas maybe... 10 years ago, it wasn't as easy. Can you go through a high level? And and I know you have the document, so folks will be able to reference the document. But can you share with the listeners a high level? Like, okay, I I have this old vehicle. And I'll use uh, what my partner and I are working on. We're working on a 1965 Ford Econoline van. And it's um, gasoline. If we want to convert what what would your recommendations be to look at or as we're replacing different things to, you just mentioned hoses as an example. That would be the first place that I would look at as just generally, I mean, especially since you ha- it's, it's already an older vehicle, if you haven't replaced those fuel lines, they may be already dry and cracked anyway. So I would just, you know, go to a typical aftermarket supplier and say, hey, here's the, you know, inside outside diameter of my fuel line. This is the vehicle. I just want to go ahead and replace all the rubber components. And I'm assuming, Rachel, the the metal, like whether you use stainless steel or the aluminum uh, fuel lines. All the the metal, the metal should be fine. Okay. Got it. Okay. So really, it's It's just the rubber components. Yeah. And there are some um, specialized um, automotive providers. If you're wanting to uh, really run higher percentage blends of biofuels, ethanol or uh, biodiesel that might have special components or special pre-packaged hose line. I used to just buy it in bulk myself, but there are some manufacturers that are like, oh, you if if you're trying to upgrade this engine then you would need the line that goes from the tank to this part of the your metal fuel line and you know other it might actually they might come in a prepackaged kit oh wow that's pretty cool wow i'm i'm just taking this in and processing this and i'm thinking about our project cuz <laughs> you know something as simple as and and i know this isn't biodiesel and i shared this with you before where if if you are an environmentally conscious person and you love cars and you love old cars, there can be a, a values conflict there where it's mm-hmm. like, I love the environment, want to do my part, 
And I have this 6540 Conoline van that literally in the older cars, and for those of you who do know, sorry, for those of you who don't, <laughs> here, here's a little interesting nugget where literally it's just a rubber hose that wraps around and ultimately those vapors just get dropped out into the atmosphere. It just goes through a little rubber hose from the gas tank and it just goes out there. What eventually came down the pipeline is, no pun intended, is, but anyway, <laughs> see, you appreciate the the terrible humor, Rachel. Thank you so much for laughing at that. Yeah. Is eventually it, we went and got a um, charcoal canister that was off of an old truck, an old Chevy truck, and we're going to be installing that on the 6540 Conoline van. So that it that vape the vapors run through the charcoal canister. So it's interesting on what is possible um, with relatively low effort to up. I'll say upgrade your engine. Now I don't want to assume this. Does it change mm-hmm. the gas mileage on an engine when you use biofuels opposed to just regular diesel or gas or lower blend? I know from the from the biodiesel side, I didn't see a significant difference in um, blends that are, you know, up up close to B20. Now they technically, the higher percentage blends like the B100, there can be somewhere between a seven to 8% BTU variance, depending on, you know, your diesel fuel, your parent diesel fuel, and then the, the B100, the 100% biodiesel. Um, and there, is, there can be some slight uh, mileage differences on the ethanol side, but it also depends on the blend that you've got. But there can be some cost, yeah, there can be some cost variance as well, depending on the state. So you might see a lower cost ethanol blend because they understand the variance of the, the energy content of that fuel versus your mileage that you're you're going to get. Got it. And just for the listeners, BTU is what? British thermal unit, but it basically translates to energy, the energy content of, of the fuel, like of a gallon of gasoline. Got it. So based on what you've seen, do you get better gas mileage or a little lower gas mileage? Lower. You get... Lower gas mileage, but there may be actual financial incentives. So the E85 might be cheaper in certain states, depending on the incentives. Interesting. I I would have thought that you'd get better gas mileage, or I don't know why I thought that. I just, but it it may, but it may be negligible. You may not see anything, and if it is, from your experience that it's very little difference. That's, that's my personal experience, but most of my experience has been on the biodiesel side. Wow. So why would someone consider converting? Why, why go through that effort of doing that? I would say many people are interested in supporting um, fuels that provide kind of promote a healthier environment, a cleaner air, but then also something that is supporting the agricultural community. So if you have fuels that their parent material is coming from crops that are grown 
directly in their area or in the United States, as opposed to importing petroleum from other locations outside of the United States. I know that my own personal interest and in, in kind of making my own fuel, um, it was just from a, came from a DIY perspective, but also understanding and learning that, oh, there is a material used cooking oil that is typically thrown away and you can collect that material for, at a, a relatively low cost and convert that material, run a chemical process on it to make diesel fuel to run in your, your diesel engine, and then it actually is, has better emissions. So as a, a technician working in the automotive industry, I saw, I just kind of observed all of the waste, uh, specifically petroleum waste that we have um, in terms of all the used oil and where does the used oil go after you change it? And what about all of the other fluids that you're, we're constantly adding and removing? Yes, those typically go into recyclers, but um, I was like, is there something that's even more environmentally friendly? And that's how I got interested in biofuels in general. I know in, in our other interview, we talked more holistically about your journey, but I'd really like to dive in a little deeper to what you just alluded to when you got started and it was used cooking oil, right? Correct. Do you mind kind of walking us through like when you started that DIY process? Because that's probably what's most relatable to a lot of people where you could go around and see that. So when I was... Um, I had been working as a, a technician, and then I also was teaching uh, high school and college level automotive classes in the evening. And I was I started doing some research on um, just alternative fuels in general. And I, I took a few courses. I actually took a, a specialized course in Colorado on alternative fuels and how to manufacture your own alternative fuels came back from that course and convinced the dean of the college to let me teach a class on biofuels. And so during that class, we basically just started to experiment with taking used cooking oil and running through the chemical process, which is called transesterification. But you're basically just changing the viscosity of the used cooking oil and stripping out like the thicker, you know, vegetable oil is is basically it's a triglyceride and the glyceride part is the thicker part of the vegetable oil it's it's kind of what makes you know say like bacon fat congeal well if you strip that material out you basically have what is and you you add a, another alcohol into the mixture you make you change the viscosity of the vegetable oil to mimic or be very similar to diesel fuel. Rachel, let me ask you a quick question about that. So I, I'm just envisioning you in a classroom doing this with students. What did you use to do that? How did you guys do that in a classroom? The community college allowed us access to the chemistry lab. That's and awesome. I have, have enough background in chemistry. And they lent us the, some Materials that I have basically some um, 
research information on how to run the chemical process. And we did it on a small scale. And then the college fund us, funded us to build a smaller biodiesel reactor. And then we built it on a large scale. And, you know, every semester we had more and more people that were interested in manufacturing either their own fuel or just learning about it. And that's actually how our business, our biodiesel business, was incubated was through these college classes. It was completely accidental. We didn't realize that we were actually building a business. Wow. We thought we were just educating people yeah. about biofuels. And we accidentally created an entire customer base. It was like, oh, this this is very interesting on how you manufacture your own fuel from used cooking oil. Can I just buy it from you? And then we eventually built our own biodiesel production facility in, in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. That That's outstanding. I, I, I'm just, <laughs> that is so cool. We, on a small scale, let's say someone at home wants to manufacture their own biodiesel and they, they have this old car and they just want to tinker. That process, like what materials did, on a small scale did you use to even start the tinkering? I mean, we used resources that we had from the chemistry lab at the community college. Um, and then with some guidance um, from some some engineers that we also kind of assembled, I guess you would say, an initial chemical reactor. There are significant amount of resources out there on how to do it in a DIY way, but safety is is really critical because one of the things, there's two chemicals that are used in the process that can be pretty dangerous and corrosive. One of them is methanol, you know, methyl alcohol that you see used in racing on, on occasion, highly flammable and, and toxic. And then we also used uh, sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide, sometimes commonly known as lye. So those two things can be pretty dangerous. If you're if you don't have training on how to use those chemicals, so that's a great call out. I I would recommend, you know, safety is really key. There have been people that have been um, that have hurt themselves in trying to manufacture biodiesel at home. So, not something to do in your kitchen. No, but <laughs> um, I can point them in the right safe direction if they're interested in that way. Perfect. So. Perfect. Feel free. Send me an email okay. if you're really interested. The underlying message is don't do this in your kitchen. <laughs> Get, do your research and safety is key. That is the underlying message, but I won't I won't lie because I have been <laughs> in the kitchen. That's awesome. You have you have a pretty extensive background though. <laughs> so and yeah. and you had proper resources in the sense being at at school, but yeah. We had some some good, strong support from our local community college because we were also co-located with a, an agricultural program as well. There you go. So if I'm a DIYer, and just to kind of sum this up, the recommendation would be simple things. One, go research your make and model. There may be a kit out there already. Correct. If there is not a kit out there already. A, a safe bet would be to convert your rubber hoses, to upgrade your rubber hoses. 
the, a safe bet would be look and see, you know, what components on your vehicle may not be compatible with the type or blend of biofuel that you want to run. Your engine may already be approved for various blends of biofuel. You just, you know, usually it's on the gas cap or in the owner's manual. And if you, if you want to do something a little bit differently, then there's also resources available to, to either do conversions or upgrades for higher plans. Perfect. This is, again, maybe a dumb question, but just out of pure curiosity. When, when I think of used cooking oil, and if I'm if I converted my engine and now I'm using that, does it smell different? Does it? I mean, will I be driving around smelling like fried chicken or? <laughs> yes, um, I don't know if we had talked about that before, but when I was teaching many of the high school classes, and I was would pull in and drive in in my diesel truck, many of my students would say. Your truck smells like fried chicken. That's awesome. But yes, uh, there can be a difference in odor, especially on the biodiesel side. Um, it, it can be, it can smell like whatever the parent oil or fat might have been, especially if you're running a higher percentage blend. Usually, if you're running, you know, a five to twenty percent blend, you may not see a significant odor difference, but you can see a difference in black smoke and particular matter. Wait, say that again. You said black smoke. Yeah. Black smoke. So the, the dark, you know, like if you're coming off of uh, a diesel engine, you know, many times you can have significant amount of black smoke emissions that is either unburned hydrocarbons or particulate matter. And biodiesel definitely has a positive impact on reducing those emissions. Got it. So I go ahead and make the conversion. Where do I find this fuel? I've decided, you know, hey, I don't I don't want to mess with the chemical piece of it. Where do I go? Because if especially like the higher blends, it's not like I can go to a gas station and find that. So if you actually um, go on to either like the National Biodiesel Board site, um, or the Renewable Fuels Association site that supports the ethanol industry, they typically have um, locators, like basically where where can I purchase this fuel? So they have buyer guides and they'll sh- show you kind of some of them have uh, apps or maps of the different stations. I know that um, Sheets, the Sheets gas station chain is promoting higher percentage blends of ethanol. So different different fueling retail gas stations may have different offerings. Oh, that's cool. Is biofuels harder on engines or is it really no different than the, the gas or diesel that we know of today? It's a little bit of a difficult question because each engine is totally different. Um, I know from the biodiesel side, absolutely not. But if you're talking about some older engines, um, sometimes biodiesel may have an affinity to pick up dirt and water and contaminants. And sometimes that is also true with ethanol. So people have these misunderstandings or they have myths around 
oh, biofuels have a negative impact on my vehicle when they actually may be just cleaning the fuel system. Mm -hmm. And when they clean the fuel system, it actually allows the vehicle to operate longer and better and more efficiently. But you may see something like one or two additional fuel filter changes if you're talking about an older vehicle that may have a significantly dirty fuel system or fuel tank. So sometimes you have old diesel trucks or old gasoline cars that may have older fuel, just a very low level of that fuel that might have water or contaminants in the bottom of the fuel tank. And if you add high percentages of the biofuels, it can kind of have a cleansing effect in the engine. Oh, that that's interesting because I, I could imagine people maybe making the conversion And seeing this getting flushed out and actually changing back because they think it's causing a problem when really it's not. It's just going through that cleanse. Right. Um, One website that I think is connected, I just found it off the Sheets website because I was looking, but there's getbiofuel.com and you basically can look for biofuel stations while you're on a road trip or in your area. Oh, wow. It it, it kind of reminds me of like Tesla. <laughs> they have all these stops along the way to charge, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I just, I popped up, I just put in my um, zip code and it came up with seven different locations in like a 50 mile radius where I can get biofuel. Well, if I'm being honest, Rachel, those are the immediate questions that I have. And I know as soon as we are done with this interview, I'm probably going to think of 12 other ones where my partner's going to be like, why didn't you ask this? I'm like, well, I'm sure Rachel will let me ask her another question. Is there any common questions that you've gotten that maybe I haven't explored with you that I, I just haven't even thought of that you think may be of interest to the audience? One of the questions that can come up with with different technicians is people are concerned that the fuel, like the biofuel specifically, hasn't been isn't regulated or doesn't have a standard, a fuel standard. And there has been significant amount of engine research from the OEM, original equipment manufacturers, and many of the different biofuel organizations to provide fuel standards for each of the blends or for the parent fuel itself. And many of those fuels have their own ASTM specification, which is the same specifications that gasoline and diesel fuel have. So one of the questions is like, is this fuel even regulated? Like if somebody manufactures a fuel and they sell it to a petroleum you know, somebody that's going to blend it with petroleum, how do I know that it that it's high quality? So there are ASTM specifications for, for the biofuels. And engine manufacturers have been actively engaged in doing their own research on various blends of biofuels over the years. That's helpful. So that's, that's one thing that kind of uh, typically comes up. Sometimes people ask, do I need to do a different type of maintenance when I'm running a biofuel? Like, do I need to change, you know, change my oil more often or something like that? Generally, if the engine manufacturers approved a certain blend of biofuel, they will dictate in the engine, in the owner's manual, 
whether they need to do regularly scheduled maintenance or sometimes you, if you're using a higher blend of a biofuel, they may recommend kind of what they call severe duty for a certain time period, like maybe initially or for a longer time period. So that's one thing. And then another one that people typically ask, especially as it's related to biodiesel, is what do I do in the winter? Can I still use biodiesel in the winter? Um, because some some biodiesel blends may have, you know, different gel points or cloud point in which um, the biodiesel blend you may want to use a lower blend in certain winter winter time. But here in here in North Carolina, the the Department of Transportation uses a twenty percent blend all year round, even in the mountains. So. You just have to kind of basically understand how how to pro- properly blend with a winterized diesel fuel. Yeah, that was definitely a question I didn't even think about. But now that you're mentioning it, a very valid question. So, yeah, those, those are the tip, typical ones that kind of come up in some of the training seminars. But I'm happy to also provide those extra resources or I'm open to questions if people have them afterwards. That's great. And as always, Rachel, thanks for taking the time to sit down with me and letting me pick your brain and explore this topic. It's it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in. And sometimes you just, I know you can Google stuff, uh, but just, just to sit down and get someone's perspective and just kind of talk through it is nice than just reading an article all the time. So thanks for taking the time to do this. How can folks, if they do have questions, how can they connect with you? Um, I'm I'm available on the social media that you social media uh, site that you mentioned before, and then my email is also available there. So either either of those ways is is open, and I'm happy to field any kind of biofuel questions from uh, especially our community here in the STEM mechanic garages. I appreciate that. I I do. And I'm going to have Faye Hadley on the show. She's one of the hosts on All Girls Garage, uh, her and Karen, to talk about the Women in Machine event. But one story that she shared with me is that uh, what really one of the things that got her into and really kicked off the whole mechanic thing is she did biodiesel and drove her little rabbit, uh, VW rabbit across the country. Oh, cool. And she had to learn mechanical work real quick <laughs> yep, and she yep. converted her her engine well we we probably have a, a number of stories that we could share yes yes you would it, that's that's actually talking to her i talked to her and then you and i spoke and the common theme was around smelling like fried chicken when <laughs> they did the conversion i'm like to drive around and i'd constantly be hungry is there anything that we missed or that you would like to share with the community? I think that's a good overview. And if people have other questions or if they've encountered vehicles in the shop or have any other technical questions, I'm open to any technical assistance. Awesome. Thanks again, Rachel. Thank you. Be sure to check out the next episode. One of the most respected classic car restoration shop owners in the industry is in the driver's seat. Hilary Nowak, founder of Auto Body Gals on Facebook and owner of Ink and Iron Restoration, shares about her journey 
and we dig into social media challenges. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?